Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. New week, new episode. Oh, this one's an educational one. I've learned more on this episode more than a week in a classroom. But before anything else, like I say every week, thank you for all the support. Thank you for all the positive messages. Thank you for all the love. You all inspire me too, and I'm grateful to you all. And to continue this gratitude message, I want to thank the people that have given the podcast a five-star rating on Spotify. I see the number is going up slowly, and I really appreciate that. And for those who haven't done so, please go ahead and do so, as it is the best way to support the podcast for free. You can also support us by following AIL on all the social media. Our handle is at an immigrant's life. And on a different note, for most of my Christian peeps, this weekend is Easter weekend. It is also the beginning of Passover for our Jewish friends. And most importantly, it's a long weekend here in Canada. So for my fellow Canucks, I hope you guys enjoy this long weekend, however you celebrate it. Now, let's talk about this week's episode. Like I said on top, this episode is an educational and an interesting episode. Our guest educated me about the importance of sleep, napping, and nutrition. I enjoy this conversation so much, and I'm sure you will too. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a nutritional scientist that shows sometimes life isn't fair because she's not only beautiful inside and out, but she's also highly intelligent. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Heya Alkatib. Thanks, Aaron. That's very kind. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Let me just say that when I contacted you, I didn't know you were a doctor. And then when you said yes, and I said, dude, I think you're over your head here. This is a doctor you're talking to. No, not at all. Come on. <laughs> However, I appreciate you. You're very kind. By the way, if you want to promote anything, let's promote it. Thank you. Um, I have a YouTube channel where I mainly talk about vegan nutrition, lifestyle, and also like innovative vegan materials. So if you're into that kind of thing and you want to learn more about that, um, follow me on YouTube. My channel is just my name, Hey Al Khatib. Mm. By the way, I love this channel. I watch really? every. Yeah, I do. I always watch it, <laughs> except for the makeup. Like the makeup part is not for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was thinking that. I'm like, oh, did you, did you watch the last ones? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, not really. I, I kind of yeah, like skip look, that one. <laughs> yeah, I kind of looked at it like, come on, I'm not gonna wear makeup. I'm not pretty. <laughs> My favorite video is the one that. What was it like? What it's like to be a vegan? Oh, you're funny. Oh, did you like that one? I love that one, yeah. I, I loved uh, playing into the stereotypes. Hells yeah, you know? No, because the thing is like, again, like you're a doctor and I guess there is like this stereotype about doctors being so, you know, like they're robots that like, like very serious, <laughs> you know? And then you did that video, I'm like, Yo, this is my girl right here. You know, I love that. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, no, no, you'd be surprised. Like, I'm, well, I'm not, I'm, I always say I'm not the kind of doctor that saves lives like a medical doctor. So I, I have a, you know, I'm a PhD, like, so research type. And um, I think we're all really fun. You know, we, we're not that like very serious stereotype. Mm. Maybe I need to get more of my friends on this podcast. <laughs> 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 possible no i'm just I, hey because i'm a silly billy i just like talking shit all the time you know i'm not like but hey by the way don't say that you're not saving lives you are saving lives i just mean like me i mean pre maybe preventatively but not like you know in the immediate sense where you're like in a hospital setting but yeah it's just it's just a joke my uh friends like make fun of you have you seen that scene with ross from friends where he's in a hospital and he's like i am dr ross geller and rachel's mm. like Ross, don't say that. That means something here. <laughs> yeah, I so don't. So my friends just like, it's like a joke between us. 
Oh yeah, is that like a joke that like you're not really a doctor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you get that from your family or like relatives? No, no, it's it's just like it's just a little joke with my best friends. Like we just laugh about it. I know, it's like, you know, it's like being a dentist. Yeah, you know, you're a dentist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyways, before we get into it, I want to ask where Dr. Hay is from. So, um, I am actually Palestinian. So, I have actually never been to Palestine or grown up there. I'm Palestinian by heritage and by blood. So, when everything started with uh, Palestine, as I'm sure maybe many of you know, back in the, like, 40s, my grandparents on both sides moved to Kuwait. So Kuwait's a small country in the Gulf region. A lot of Palestinians were moving there at the time, given the conflict and what was happening. Mm. And so also ended up getting Jordanian citizenship. Mm. So because my grandparents settled in Kuwait, I, yeah, I was born there, raised there. I lived in Kuwait for 18 years and my, as a Jordanian, as a Palestinian Jordanian, Mm -hmm. What's so interesting is I'd go to Jordan if I visit over the summer. It's like I'm I'm not I'm I'm. It's very obvious I'm not from Jordan, mm. right? So so you're like a foreigner where you're growing up, and then also where you go when you visit a country where you carry the citizenship, you're you kind of also feel like a foreigner, which is very interesting. And had a lovely childhood, amazing time growing up in Kuwait, you know, went to international schools, like there's a big international population in Kuwait. So that was really nice. It was a lot of exposure to different cultures. And then I moved to the US. I, I went there for my undergrad. And then from there, uh, for grad school, I moved to Britain. So I lived in London and, st and continued studying there. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Let's retract a little bit. I want to know more a little bit the young Heya. Were you a good kid? I was such a good kid. I was a really good kid. Yes, mm. I really was. I loved my pets. I loved reading and drawing. I was really like, I was the kind of child, I'm an only child, so I entertained myself on my own really easily. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have a regret of not having siblings? You know... As a child, not really, because, you know, I had such an active imagination and so many imaginary friends and gave myself different names and, you know, mm. really wild imagination. I always had friends as well, like visiting and neighbors and stuff. So, no, but I think as I'm growing up, um, as an adult, it's really when you start feeling like it would be very nice to have siblings Especially like being abroad and everything, like having someone to kind of connect with about your past, your family, your history, or mm. all all of that, and is would be really nice. But but again, I'm very fortunate. Actually, one of one of the guests on this channel, Dana, is like the sister that mm. I never had. So I'm very lucky there. Mm. Yeah, shout out to Dana. She's shout my girl. Shout out to Dana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. She's awesome. She I didn't even know, by the way, that you guys are like, I knew you kind of like connected, we follow each other, but then I didn't know that you guys are like sisters. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier that you live in Kuwait, but you don't really feel that you're from Kuwait. How does that feel? Oh, my God, you know, yes, like, I mean, Kuwait was a wonderful place to live, Um and but it, it's very interesting that you're 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 not like over all the years you're 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 a foreigner there and so you really all i only started to fully reflect on that when i went to college mm. and people would ask where are you from and that was when i was like i just wanted to say something like uh, hawaii like some, just something <laughs> so random because it was so much to say <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. you're like, wait, if I say I'm from Kuwait, they'll think I'm Kuwaiti, which I'm not. Mm -hmm. But when you're growing up in Kuwait and you're not Kuwaiti, that's normal, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people around you are like that. They're from everywhere. When you move to the U.S. and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm from Kuwait, I grew up in Kuwait. But then they assume you're Kuwaiti. You're like, no, 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 but I'm not Kuwaiti. And then, and then if you say like, oh, I'm from Jordan, you're not really Jordanian. And then if you say I'm from Palestine, you offend people. So oh. it's like... <laughs> It's, it, it just felt like the most difficult question <laughs> when someone asks you, like, where are you from at a bus stop? You're like, please, no, ask me anything else. So 
You said you grew up in Kuwait and then you moved to the States. Why did you move to the States and why the States? So uh, I moved for college and the schools that I went to, so I went to international schools, it was really common to like go abroad to study. And mm. people mainly went to the US or Canada or the UK. And at the time I was in an American school. We had a lot of American universities come and talk about their universities. Penn State was one of the universities that came. We are. Yeah. Did you go? No. I'm not smart oh, like you. Um, no. <laughs> I just love football. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um so so yeah, so that for that reason, like it, it was just kind of a given always that I'm gonna go abroad. Mm-hmm. My parents wanted to make sure, like, especially as a Palestinian woman, that mm. I have an internationally recognized education um, because of, you know, what, what, what happened and everything. They just always wanted me to be very um, independent and able to work like anywhere in the world. So they wanted some, me to get my degree from somewhere where it would be like an internationally recognized degree. So that was like another one of the big motivations for me to go study abroad. And I was very privileged and lucky that I was, you know, able able to my family and parents enabled me to do that. Mm. So went to Penn State and was there for four years. Why did you choose Penn State? So um at the time when I was applying, first they had the degree that I wanted among mm. other universities as well. But I'll tell you like the kind of universities I was applying for were like um college towns. Mm. And a lot of that there was like an element of safety. So, I mean, when I moved to the U.S., I had never been before. None of my family had ever been to America. So we didn't really know what to expect. You know, is it all like New York or D.C.? You hear all these stories, right? So my family are like, well, you know, let's go somewhere where it's like a college town. It's safe, um, a, a good university, good ranking, all that, have the degree that you're interested in. So all of these factors together, it was mm. like I was applying to places like Penn State, Purdue, all, all of uh, these kind of college campuses. Mm. Oh, you move with your family? I moved alone. Okay. Okay, okay. Because you were saying like, oh, we. I was like, okay, I thought, I thought you moved. Oh, no. I, when, when I was speaking with my family at the, at the time, it was mm-hmm. like there was an element of like um, – <sighs> what would it be all oh, like it was a bit scary for them if like all of a sudden I'm 18 by myself in like New York City and mm. you hear all these stories or yeah. you, you know how it is because because no one had ever been <laughs> <laughs> isn't that crazy like I'm sure there's internet then right and I'm sure you can google it and whatever but back in the day there was no internet it's just like a person that went there or probably heard someone say it like oh by the way over there it's amazing yeah, like I can't imagine when people move and you know they're like just not even like a cell phone at the mm. time. Like, mm-hmm. How do you have to, you have to like write letters and stuff back yeah. home? It's just crazy, it's crazy how much life changed in like such a short period of time. Mm. What program did you take there? I did pre med and nutrition science. What's pre med means, by the way? I hear this all the time. Yeah. So pre-med is basically a set of subjects. I can't remember the exact number of them, maybe around 10 that you take that that are like sciences and math. And what these do, you have all these credits in these subjects that enable you to apply to go to any kind of health um, graduate school. So Mm -hmm. in the U.S. to study dentistry or optometry or even a medical school, all of those professions, you do it at grad level and you have to have taken pre-med. So I was so I took all those courses to kind of give myself that option. Mm. How come you decided not to be, for the lack of a better word, like a real doctor? Yeah. <laughs> so this is a funny story, actually. I at the time I was thinking I'd I'd never wanted to work in a hospital um, mm. setting. It's just not for me. I'd I'd volunteered and stuff, and it, I don't know. It's I'm a very sen- sensitive. Uh, person and um, it just deeply affects me to be in mm. that setting and I, I have huge respect for for that and I think mm. it's amazing it's just I know it, it wasn't really what I wanted to do 
um, mm. to, to work in that kind of setting. And, and I was actually then thinking about maybe dentistry. And I actually applied for dentistry in the U.S. I applied to 19 universities. I got like rejected from all of them and waitlisted <laughs> on one. <laughs> Why? And I was a really good student. I think it's very competitive for international students. Dentistry, um, come on. Like, yeah, it's, mm-hmm, I got rejected from all of them. But that was a really interesting learning is that like I, I wasn't upset that I wasn't going to become a dentist. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute, that's an important learning. You know, if mm-hmm. I'm not upset that like I got 19 rejections. <laughs> Actually, I was a bit, I was upset that I got rejected, but not upset that I'm, oh my God, I'm not going to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a big, hang on. I need to rethink my strategy here. Like, okay, what what do I actually want to do if I'm, if, if I'm not like upset over such a major life decision that's telling me something. Mm. And so I decided to pursue research because I'd been doing a lot of like extra research in my undergrad. And I thought, okay, I think I want to, I love studying. I love reading. If I could study for the rest of my life, I would love to do that. <laughs> so I thought, let me, let me do that instead. And I, that's when I was like, right, I'm going to London. I'm going to do this instead. And I did, but yeah, it was uh, after a major, major rejection. 19. You are resilient lady. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be just hanging myself there after. <laughs> But see, like I, but the thing is, like maybe you wouldn't have if it wasn't really something you wanted. And mm. so I felt like, why am I? So why am I doing this then? Me, it, clearly, it's not something I really want. So, yeah, they probably yeah. felt like, yeah, she's half-assing this. Maybe, maybe they knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they read essays and whatnot, like yeah. thousands of them, right? Yeah. Why did you choose dentistry? Like, why, why that? I thought it, uh, because I had always been very interested in like, um, I really like people. I like working one-on-one with people. I'm a one-on-one mm. kind of person. You and me, buddy. And yeah. <laughs> and um, I like health um, subjects a lot. Like I'm really interested in biology and everything. Mm-hmm. And then also I love um, creativity and arts and stuff and I actually I was very torn like should I go into art or science like I really wasn't sure but I love that dentistry had this element of creativity with like the cosmetic parts and everything and I mm-hmm. felt like it merged both um, so yeah so what kind of all, all of those reasons but clearly it just was there was a different path waiting for me i really believe some things happen for a reason and i'm like i wouldn't have it any other way definitely yeah like i'm not big on destiny or happenstance or whatever you want to call it it's just but then things happen in your life and you're like like what is happening like how Mm, you know what i mean it's -hmm. crazy like that you said art what kind of art do you make Oh, this was like kind of when I when I was really young. I loved like painting and things like that. Mm. And then I I feel like I went so far into science that I stopped really pursuing that. But mm. I'm now hoping, like with my YouTube channel and stuff, to kind of start channeling a bit more of my creativity and bring that back. So I'm not creating any art right now, but it's like I've always been drawn to like visual arts. You're creating art. You're making videos. That's creative. I, I creativity, I guess. I, I like creativity. Yeah. yeah. And it's something I want to like grow in more. Yeah. Then you decided to move to London. Was it strictly for studying or you also want to live in London? I definitely wanted to also live in London. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think I'd had, yeah, like the Penn, Penn State was such an awesome experience. Some of the best times of my life, definitely. Mm. Um, after four years there of like, a small college town i was kind of ready for a city i really wanted to be in a cool city and um yeah like king king's college in london have an amazing nutrition program and really great nutrition research so i was like okay win-win you know i'm in london i'm in the city it's a change of scenery and it's like a program i want to do mm-hmm. you could have moved to canada i could have but yeah, too cold. Cold. <laughs> cold. <laughs> it is cold. It Pennsylvania you. was cold enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it gets cold. Sometimes ask me people ask me that like, how can you live there? And I'm like, 
because I'm I don't want to starve to death in the Philippines. Oh, and <laughs> but no, no, I just like making the joke. But by the way, let me just ask you: Were you always serious in school, or do you also get in trouble sometimes? You know, honestly, like I've I was always pretty serious about school. It's nothing exciting there. Like <laughs> you know, real such a nerd. Like <laughs> hey, really, like nerds. even in college. Even oh, seriously, like I spent it in the library probably. Um, but I but I I like this. I don't mm. know. Like I don't feel like I'm missing out. But yeah. <laughs> That's your fun thing to do. You know, like some people like to party, some people I don't know, do whatever. Like you mm-hmm. like studying. That what makes you happy. What's the problem? Yeah. Yeah. Were you did you ever get ashamed of loving studying? You know, growing up, kids and like, hey, hey, yeah, stop being a boring person. Just like party sometimes. No, like I mean, I I definitely had a great time. I'd still party with my friends and stuff. Like when I was in school, and all my friends actually were pretty studious as well and took it pretty seriously. But like, I'd say I got really, really serious in college, mm. and my no, my friends were like, I never felt like pressure. I don't know. I don't really feel kind of peer pressure or anything like that they weren't Mm. really like that um Mm. yeah yeah it was it was like yeah it was was good times Mm. you spent so much time studying and working i'm pretty sure do you ever regret when you have to miss important dates for people you love you know like i mean this is why I think I feel it with like things that happen internationally. So like, you know, being able to be around friends internationally or family internationally and stuff. And that's why it's always my aspiration to like, hopefully like be fully online because that changes everything, right? You could Mm. go and be and work from like anywhere. So I think the world's changing a lot in that Mm. sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So hopefully it'll like be more enabling. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. I quickly perused your project about determining the importance of sleep in maintaining a healthy weight and cardiometabolic health. My God, that's like mouthful for me. What made you decide <laughs> to do that project? Yeah, well, well spotted, well found. This was my PhD project. Mm. So this was at the time, we know now, I feel like now there's a lot of awareness about sleep and stress and stuff. Like before in 2015, 2014, no one talks about sleep. I remember because my project was what I loved about it is like, we all, we all eat. Right. But then also we all sleep. So it's like the universal thing that like every living thing does, we all eat and we all have to sleep. And it's just this period. Like we spend 30% of our lives in this state Mm -hmm. called sleep. And like, we don't talk about it. And if we're doing that, like biologically, if we have to do that, surely it's really important. So it was fascinating to me that this can actually impact how we eat and our relationship with food and our health and our like meta- metabolic health. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was like a motivation for the project. And also it was like a funded project and everything. And I got to design it as well, how like I wanted to study it. So yeah, I just really liked that it was so applied, that mm. it was something like we all do and potentially have control over. Mm-hmm, for sure, for sure. So for people like me that doesn't know anything, why is sleep so important? Yeah, sleep is so important for, like, I would say every part of health, right? Mental health, physical health, and emotional well-being, mm. So from my project, what I found is that when you sleep enough, so for adults, seven to nine hours, it means your body doesn't feel as hungry during the day. So Mm. you are more likely to eat better. You're not just like reaching for stuff just because you're hungry to keep your energy going because your hormones start changing. Your hunger hormones start changing throughout the day if you're not sleeping enough. Mm. It means also you're not trying to um, basically conserve energy during the day. So you're not then like more likely to be lazy and not move as much because all these little movements you do during the day, I'm not even talking about like going to the gym, 
mm. all these movements, you're more likely to still do them. And over time, this can affect overall health and weight and all of these things. Mm. So this was kind of like what my project was about. You mentioned that if you have enough sleep, you're not as hungry as much. Why is that? Because, so a few reasons. One of the reasons could be because when you sleep, you your, your metabolism, so how much energy you burn, drops a little bit mm. during the night. So that means during the day, you don't have to like make up for that energy lost. So during hunter-gatherer times, this would have been great, right? But now mm. we have so much access to food everywhere. It's not really a problem, but evolutionarily, it's very important. Mm. So it saves energy, right? And so then if you're not sleeping enough, your body starts making changes to, there's changes to your hormones during the day. That's like, oh, well, I need to conserve it. I need, I need more energy to keep me going. So what happens is there's hormones, the hunger hormones, they're called like ghrelin, for example, that will go up more during the day. So that makes you want to eat. And then there's another hormone called leptin. This actually tells your body, oh, I've had enough. This one starts going down. So it's like, nope, I haven't had enough with me more. It's, 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 it's a lot to do with our environment and everything is mm. so complicated. Um, so that, you know, hormones change. And then there's other studies, not mine, that showed that when we look at food, right, there's certain areas in our brain that are associated with like reward that start lighting up. Mm. So when you're sleep deprived and you see pictures of food your brain lights up even more than if you were rested so it's like it's like more of a reward signal to your brain right? oh yes i know and a lot of people like this yeah and then as well like if you're not sleeping enough and you see photos of like high sugar high you know bad fats foods mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like you know like you know you know, you know the kinds of foods I'm talking about, like really sugary, <laughs> really fatty, really sugary, yet they look even more like rewarding than, for example, a photo of a carrot, right? Yeah, carrot's so, boring. <laughs> <laughs> so like when you're sleep deprived in that state, it looks like even more rewarding, mm. which makes you like go after it uh, even more. Mm. So for all those reasons, you your body starts like going for different types of food when you haven't slept enough. Well said, man. I mean, like you can tell you're a doctor. <laughs> so naps. I love naps. Yeah. Is it helpful or detrimental? Okay. Like with naps, if it's like 20 minutes in the day, that's fine. The only thing with naps that where that makes them like bad would be if they're causing you to like not sleep enough during the night then it's mm. like okay well think about reducing that nap or trying to take it out but you're sleeping you cannot just like oh by the way 20 minutes i'm waking up now yeah what, what how much do you nap yesterday i napped for like two hours nice <laughs> no it's not nice because you know why <laughs> i mean how I... much do you sleep at night uh so usually i sleep around like 10 30 11 11 yeah, and then I wake up f about five, f before six, because I work out in the morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not enough, I know. No, I think you're, so if you're feeling rested, that's the thing. It's like, if you feel like that's mm. good and fine, mm. then, you know, great. But usually, yeah, the recommendation is like seven to nine hours. Yeah, I like what you said, like you feel rested. Because sometimes I'll wake up earlier than, than my alarm, and I'm like, yeah. I'm good. Like I don't I don't have to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Which I what I do is I don't go back cuz I know what's going to happen if I decide like oh I'm going to try to pull in that 1 hour again when I wake up I feel not rested. Right. And that's cuz of where you're waking up in your sleep cycle. You know sometimes your alarm goes and you're just you feel like it's like you've been hit by a train or something. You feel mm. like awful. And it could be because really you're in like a deep sleep. Because you're, you, we go through cycles of light to deep to light to deep mm -hmm. sleep. Waking up in that stage is just, is terrible. Yeah. As opposed to if you're waking up naturally, you know, you're at the lighter stages of sleep and you just, yeah, it feels, it feels better. Night owls, are they real? 
they are real. There's mm. something called chronotype, which genetically um, tells you whether you're a like owl or a lark. So whether you're a morning or an evening person. Mm. And there's actually five types. There's people who are like early risers, mid to morning risers, afternoon, and then kind of like really late evening mm -hmm. types. And yeah, this is quite, it's quite conflicting because some experts will say like, respect your, your chronotype. Like if you're a late person, just stay, stick with that. But then you have a lot of research that says like eating earlier, waking up earlier and everything is better. Mm. overall for health and metabolism so i don't it's a very it's an interesting area mm. i think that yeah i think i, I think it, it is a real thing though so what's your opinion i think just i think it's all about okay even when people ask me like what's the best diet what's this it's at the end of the day it's like what you what is realistic for you personally Mm. Like if you are trying to set your alarm for 6am, but really you're the kind of person like you feel great at 9am and you're productive and you're able to produce, to produce your best work at this sort of time, like do that, do what's more realistic for you mm -hmm. and what's more livable and enjoyable for you. I don't think you should, everyone should try and for, force themselves to wake up at 5am to, you know, it's just a miserable existence. <laughs> Be like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know? <laughs> Do you know that book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I that book. Yeah. It's a great yeah, book. It's, it's like, well, most people approach sleep like it's a bank. You can take away and you can put back extra. Can you mm -hmm. extrapolate that? Yeah. So that's the thing with sleep. Like there's something called sleep debt that you build up over time. Hmm. So... It's a real thing and it's one of the characteristics of sleep that when you don't sleep enough, your body is like holds on to that extra that you didn't have. So let's say you need, you're the kind of person who needs nine hours and then you sleep six or hmm. five. Hmm. The next day you have what's called like a rebound where you have to sleep more to like make it back up. Hmm. And then, and that build, that buildup can um, happen over a few days. Um but it's the kind of thing where there's now research that shows that, you know how they call it social jet lag. So on weekdays, you're sleeping like five hours. Mm -hmm. And on weekends, you sleep like nine or 10 hours. That's not that healthy, actually. What's better is if you're consistent, like over, over the work week, mm -hmm. that you're trying to get your consistent like seven eight hours as opposed to like having a big difference between weekends and weekdays because then come monday it's like your it's like your body's living in jet lag during the work week mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense oh well so if you're saying like weekdays i sleep five hours can i just sleep five hours on the weekends I think it w w the better way to do it is to like sleep more you can sleep more on the weekdays <laughs> <laughs> i know it's hard it's hard you know you mentioned that there are larks and there are night owls, right? I, For me, personally, when I was younger, I was a night owl. But now I like to sleep earlier so I can wake up earlier. Can it change? Can your body change like that? Yes, actually. And it's been shown specifically in teenagers that they become more evening type. They become oh, I'm not a like teenager their body clock changes. No, I mean, I mean, for, <laughs> during like uh, um, teenage years, mm. it kind of changes and all teenagers tend to need to sleep later and wake up later. But then that start that changes again into adulthood. Mm. I think I read like an article about that, that they uh, teenagers need a lot of sleep because they burn so much energy. And then when you get older, you don't really need much sleep. Right. And even for um, adults over 65, so they need less than adults, less um, younger than 65. Mm, okay. So I love that topic, but let's move on. You've decided to be a vegan. What yes. made you take that decision? Yeah. So it was actually a lot of things. It was a, it was a long, long journey. I, you know, I'd mentioned like an only child always had pets around me um had had such a like always have like had a close connection i feel with animals mm. and but then when it comes to kind of food i block it out 
because I'm like, no, but you know, that's, that's like a, that's different. Right. <laughs> but what's interesting is like my animals, my pets were animals that are eaten outside the Mediterranean like cuisine. Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I was a child, I had um, ducks, rabbits, things like that, that I looked after. And then I moved to the U.S. and, you know, the U.K. and stuff. And then I'd start seeing on the menu, like, duck and rabbit and everything. And I'd feel really weird. I'd feel really, really weird. I, I wouldn't want to touch it. But then I'm like, no, 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 you're being a hypocrite because it's all meat, right? And I'd do the opposite. I'm like, no, no, you're going you're gonna to taste it because you're being irrational. Mm -hmm. And it was this kind of, but then it started to, like come up more it was on my mind right that like why why am i why do i have this kind of cognitive dissonance like why do i do this but i felt i don't want to explore it because what i found what i knew what i would find i wasn't gonna like mm. uh, i knew that it meant like i'm gonna have to face some big decisions and i'm gonna be uh, you know just it's it was a lot to deal with it was, mm -hmm. and i'm like no, no no i don't have capacity for this right now mm -hmm. Oh, I might have to then, if I find out oh, that, you know, I'm going to have to be vegan, where do I even begin? Like, oh, it's just, it's too much, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah. Was um, it more social or more personal? Your the reason fear? I didn't want to look into yeah. my fear. That's a great question. Um, I think social. Mm. Actually, I, on a personal level, it just felt like, oh my God, like where, you know, all these things I can't have anymore. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, like, re oh, but that, that's kind of what I would think. But then social, I think, oh, you know, I'm going to be an inconvenience. Like, what will I tell friends and family? What will I tell when we go to a restaurant? What will I do? You know, mm -hmm. all these things, these scenarios come up to your mind. Like, but what will I do then? And no, oh, but oh, it's, it's, I'm going to be that outlier, that like person. Mm -hmm. Um, and these were kind of very initial thoughts I th I'd have. And then I'm like, oh, just think about something else for quite some time. Um, but then I, I started to think a bit more about it when like, I think in like 2016, more, there was more and more about sustainability in the food systems and stuff that I started to get interested in. And, you know, the carbon footprint and stuff, I, you know, so it was kind of still on my radar in that sense. Mm -hmm. And I tried to like reduce meat and have more fish and things like that. But then I went to Brazil, I went to the Amazon and we were on a boat uh, on the Amazon and the, it, was, it was an amazing experience, really amazing, like living in the Amazon rainforest. And they said to us on our first night there, you're going to go catch your own fish. Mm. And if you don't catch fish, there's no dinner. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so, and they weren't joking. <laughs> they took us into the river and we try to catch our own fish. And I'm like, I, I'd look at them and I'd see people pulling them out and I'd see the fish like eyes. Like I could, this is going to sound weird, but I could see it like looking at me. Mm. And I'm like, I can't do that to it. I can't like, why, mm. why you know? Um, and I felt like, I, I put my um, line in the fishing line. You have to put some food on it. And, you, and I'm like, can they please just eat it and go away? I don't <laughs> want to pull one out. It's, it was really traumatizing. And, I, and then I kept reflecting. I'm like, why? So I'm like, oh, trying to reduce meat and eat more fish. But I, I have a problem catching fish. Mm. Me personally catching it, it like distressed me. So what, what gives me the right to be eating it? Um, but I, honestly, I didn't even do anything about it. I just kind of block it out. I'm like, it's, it's where do like, it's so much, it's a heavy load to carry, to start looking into it and then start to cut out all these foods and like, oh my God, what do I do? It's, it's so major. Um, but then it wasn't for some time that I actually started to face it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think it just took a, I don't know what it was, but I had more maybe emotional capacity. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was something, it was like a mental journey for, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that you said that earlier that I find that most women says is like, oh, I don't want to be an inconvenience to people. Mm -hmm. 
because men yeah. most likely would not say that. We're just gonna do whatever the woman did do. I I think about like oh, but what if? But my friend like oh, I go to restaurants with my friends and like mm. well, then they'll be like oh my god, like hey is coming like what 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 what's on the menu that she can eat or like oh my god, we're inviting people over. Oh my god, what are we gonna feed Haya mm. or all these things? I'm like. You, that you kind of create in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, for me anyway. Yeah. So how many friends have you lost since you turned vegan? You know, honestly, you know the kind of thing where you're like, you have this, if you're going to like jump into, a, I don't know, jump off a diving board or into a pool and you're like so scared. Oh my God, it's going to be this, it's going to be that, it's going to be, mm. and then you do it. And then it's like, it's fine. It's absolutely fine was my experience in my head. It was so much bigger than the reality of it. Mm. Um, and I've lost zero friends. My friends have been extremely accommodating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not vegan. I am. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Also, it helps that, you know, veganism is just out there now. You know, it's not like yeah. before, like, oh, this hay is coming. She, she doesn't eat meat. You know, she's going to be an inconvenient. Let's not invite her. Mm-hmm. 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 It's my there's and especially like we're living in London, it's very easy. Like there's so much option, definitely mm-hmm. so much option. But also like my friends have been so incredible and even like haven't you know invite me over and like even made a lot of vegan dishes and stuff like fully vegan meal and like we we talk about it, it's like an active conversation it's not the full conversation but mm. obviously i had a conversation with them they're like wait you why this is out of nowhere because it was overnight for me because mm. all these things in my mind i talk about sustainability and stuff they knew i'm interested in that but when i was like no, i'm vegan now it was like what <laughs> you why <laughs> yeah it was a bit of a shock so but they've been re- actually very supportive really really supportive that's great i like what you say that like what why are you vegan why why are you turning vegan because i'm trying to be sober not that i drink a lot it's just like i just don't like the hangovers yeah i still yeah. love alcohol i still like drinking but i'm just like why wake up with your headache you know yeah i went to a party last night and like they're all drinking, and I was drinking water. And everybody's like, oh, what are you doing? Like, why are you not drinking? I'm like, I don't know. I just don't like drinking, dude. Like, oh, you're so brave. I'm like, it's, I'm drinking water. Like, relax. You know, I'm yeah. not fighting in a war. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting that, isn't it? That there's like, you know, there's this like expectation that, oh, why... Why aren't, oh, why aren't you drinking? Oh, I could never do that. That's the thing. Like, oh, I'm vegan. Oh, I can never do that. I could mm. never do it. But it's like anyone can do it. You're saying about everyone can be vegan. Have you heard about the meat diet? Well, okay. So when I say, ev- um, we, you know, with everyone can be vegan, I do recognize, I want to say like that being vegan is a privilege because it's it's a very and it's nothing to do with like oh it being an expensive diet i don't believe it is an expensive diet i think any diet can be expensive or budget friendly it depends um i just think that i recognize it takes so much mental capacity mm-hmm. and i recognize a lot of people you know have to get by on just the first thing they think about mentally with food is like mm-hmm. price or or other things like they have so many mouths to feed and they don't have that like uh, freedom or space to face these other questions. It's just so in the back of the mind that it's like, it's not even a priority. So I, I have compassion for that. That's what I, what I want to say that I don't, that I, uh, I just have a lot of compassion that there was definitely once I was not a vegan and I was not thinking about it or I was thinking about it and pushing it back. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, in that sense, I do, I do fully recognize it's a privilege. Mm. Um, what was remind me what was your question the meat diet yeah i think that's just i think it's terrible (laughs) it's terrible for obviously okay like of course for animals but it's it's we like we have a lot of bacteria in our gut Mm. right these have a relationship with us where when we look after them they look after us 
They do so much for us, for our immune system, for our mood, for our metabolism, for like nutrients, so much. They do a lot. They're like little factories in our body. Mm. And there's good ones and there's like not so good ones. What we want to do is feed the good ones and make sure feed as many of the good ones as possible. How do we do that? We do that with plants. Mm. They're their favorite food. So when we suddenly have a meat diet, we're starving them of that. And actually, we end up feeding more of the bad ones. Mm. So I just don't think... And so that's, you know, at a biological level. And then at a at a environmental level, like, we just cannot sustain that. Yeah, yeah. Humanity can't sustain that. Mm-hmm. Why do they the love... Like, we need to... Sorry, go ahead. I just think, like... In, oh, I was, I was just going to say, like, in terms of... On a food system level, we need to start thinking more about... A healthy diet is one that takes into account also the health of our planet, not just human health. And there's more and more of that happening now. Um, but we need to be thinking like that in terms of a meat diet. It's just neither on a human health level or a planetary health level. It's It just, to me, doesn't make any sense. Mm, I agree. You mentioned bacteria in your stomach or whatever. What, what, what the word did you say? Yeah, in, in your gut. In your gut, sorry. You mentioned that. Why do they love plants? Yeah, so plants have um, fiber in them. They have mm. thousands of types of different fiber. And these fibers are, are the food that they eat. They ferment it. And when they ferment it, these chemicals come out into our body called short-chain fatty acids these then like send good signals to our body telling our brain to kind of to improve our mood to also um, it, it has effects on our appetite as well making us also feel more full less hungry um, it's, it's just the food that they eat it's how we evolved there's mm-hmm. also little chemicals called polyphenols in plants they're unique only to plants they're called phytochemicals phyto means plant chemical is chemical mm-hmm. there's hundreds of thousands of them and they're also kind of what give all these different plants their different colors mm-hmm. and these are also just the foods that they uh, that they grow on it's just what we what they eat just like we eat carbohydrates protein fat that's the food the food that we do not Um, the fiber we do not digest because we can't digest fiber goes straight through our stomach, through our intestine to our gut and the bacteria there that leftover, that's, that's what they eat. Mm, Okay. Interesting. But what would you say to those people like that? Oh, well, cavemen used to eat meat all the time and they needed meat to survive longer. Do you think they would have been better if they just eat plants? Right. So I would say a lot of things to those people. (laughs) Actually, because I'm the next video I'm going to do is going to talk about vitamin B12, right? Mm. You heard of this vitamin B12? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, this vitamin is like kind of like the Achilles heel to the vegan diet. People are like, no, but where do you get B12? You need a supplement. So like, clearly this isn't a diet we should be eating and humanity wasn't meant to eat it, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Sure. Okay. But like, I think when we look back so much at, oh, this is what cavemen used to do and this is what our history used to do, I think we need to stop being so obsessed with our past and Mm. look forward to our future. And I think we can learn so much from our past and not to deny it, but we need to get more obsessed with our future and our planet. And I think also, I'm not saying that, oh, we evolved only eating plants. No, we didn't. There's a lot of like anthropological evidence saying we did grow. We did eat meat, mm. but we did not eat meat to the industrial scale that we're doing it now. It's, you know, it's completely different. If we're saying, if we're comparing now to like when we were hunter gatherers or caveman times, there's nothing about our environment that's similar to that. So why do we hold on so tight to this like area? We don't. Our houses aren't like that. We're so far removed from our environment. There's yeah. nothing natural about our cities or how we live. Like we're mm-hmm. so far removed from that. So like, we. I just think we need to start. I'm. I'm more obsessed with the future than the past. I love that. You're correct. I have these few things. I'm gonna ask you. You tell me if it's good or not. Sure. Multivitamins. I think that 
um, so vegan or non-vegan or just like in general? I, there's a vegan multivitamins. I don't even. Know. Oh, okay. So, oh, oh, sorry. I meant like, do you are, do you mean multivitamins for vegans or for everyone in general? For everyone, yeah. Like, because I do take multivitamins every morning. Yeah. So, so in terms of like nutrition, we say if you have a really great, varied, balanced diet, you don't really need supplementing. Hmm. Now, that being said. There are some people, some experts who say, if you just, if you take a multivitamin, it's kind of like an insurance policy. Just mm. in case, if you weren't covering all your bases, you're taking that one multivitamin and you're kind of covering yourself extra. Where to just be aware of is like, there's so much marketing in this area that says mm. like, you need this for that and this mm. for brain health and this for that. It's just be careful with these claims because they could be, it's basically like most of the vitamins you end up peeing it because it's water soluble. Your body just takes what it needs and you just pee it out. So mm. you could just be paying for very expensive, you know, <laughs> urine. Um, <laughs> I think so just, so it's, you don't need like vi so many vitamins and supplements and everything for good health. Mm. I think, you know, having a good overall balanced diet means you don't need all of that extra stuff. Awesome. How about fat burner pills? Please, yeah, no. Just <laughs> just no. <laughs> we also, I remember like one thing my professors taught me is like, if it sounds too good to be true, then it is. All of these fat burner supplements and everything and tea talks and everything, like there's so much that promises and it could actually be very dangerous and detrimental. And there is no shortcut to good health. Overall, it's good diet it's great relationships, it's activity, it's good sleep, it's mental, you know, de-stressing. It's unfortunately not, whenever you see there's like a shortcut to something crazy, it's just not, not true. Mm. This one, this is personal. So be careful when you answer this question. White rice, good or bad? Uh, <laughs> no, I think... I, no, I think it's 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 fine, right? White rice is it's fine. Mm. Um, we demonize carbohydrates a lot. Carbohydrates are essential, and um, you know, again, it's like white rice. How much instead of what? <laughs> you know, who is the person? Does the person have diabetes or not? It's like all these things. But you know, there's nothing wrong with rice. It can be part of a healthy diet. Now, in general, in terms of starches, like rice or bread or these things, it's a good idea to try to go for ones that are whole grain. So mm. these are ones that have a lot of fiber. So what happens? Because there's so much fiber, they don't, the fiber causes the, when the sugar from that food goes into our blood, it doesn't like spike so much and then come crashing down. These are mm. things that can play with our energy levels, make us not feel as good, mm. make us um, feel more hungry. When we go for things that are like whole grain, the fiber slows it down. So the sugar in our blood comes up in a more sustained, gradual way. So it keeps us feeling better in terms of energy, not as hungry. We're not eating as much between meals. And all that fiber goes down to the bacteria that keeps us feeling good and healthy. Yeah, but whole grain tastes like cardboard. See, that's the thing. You have to go for what you enjoy. You know, just have white rice and like put in, you know, some beans, some vegetables. That's that's fine, you know? Hey, uh, listen, I'm Asian. Of yeah. course, I, I eat rice like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. Uh, I hate it because... No, I think that white rice is fine. <laughs> yeah, I, the thing is like, yeah, sometimes I ate too much of it, I feel like, you know? Yeah, I also like Filipino um, mm. cuisine. It's like really nice with the rice, yeah. Yeah, we love it. How about this one? You mentioned that healthy diet is important to stay healthy and take care of your body, right? Yeah. So what's your opinion about body positivity movement? I think that it's an important movement. A lot of the body positivity movement is um, stems from this um, movement that's like healthy, that says like healthy at every size. Hmm. And what they're saying is that just because you cannot tell someone's health just from their weight. Mm. And, you know, some people um, 
can be healthier at at um, in larger bodies and some people not. It's just not like a barometer. And I think it's a response to all of this like diet culture that we've had all the way through the 90s and you know everything's like skinnier is better and everyone's on a diet and it perpetuated a lot of like fear of many foods and the need to like constantly be restricting yourself so i think it's 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 great that there's this um almost like revolution against it because i think from health is a is a way of living it's a lifestyle i don't think it's health isn't a look a certain way of like looking skinnier doesn't necessarily mean healthy i think also health isn't only physical so for example some people might get quite a lot thinner and dieting but actually their metabolism is very slow mentally they're so strained by always being on a diet they're constantly hungry they're like withdrawing from their relationships because they feel like oh I don't want to eat if I'm going out and that's not healthy because health isn't just like this weight uh, this number your goal weight that's not health so I think in that way it brought um, important conversations about weight and health well said well said so being a vegan What's the alternative for companies that do animal testing? Um, so, you mean like in terms of cosmetics? Whatever. It could be medication, could be anything. Oh, medication. Okay. I, in terms of like medication stuff, I wouldn't want to go down that road because okay. I, I think people should, of course, still like take whatever medication that they need and, mm. and, and, and everything. Um What's the alternative to animal testing? Maybe, maybe um, it's more about like it, the thing is, it's not just animal testing, mm. right? They're, it's also they're using animal ingredients. Mm. So now there's like it's so easy actually to find cosmetics and skincare products that don't test on animals, mm. right? Um, it's actually only one of the like major players in animal in the requirement for animal testing is selling in mainland China. So not even just made in China, if it's going to be sold in mainland China in stores, then mm. a lot of cosmetics need to be tested on animals, but China's starting to change their laws. Mm. It's not animal testing is not banned, but it's, um, it's starting to change there. But I think like we use animals in so many parts of our life that we don't even realize. Like I, I did not even realize before I committed to being vegan, right? I, I decided, okay, I'm going to go vegan. Naturally, it started happening. I, you know, the food part is pretty easy, but then I'm like, wait a minute. There's animals in my makeup. There's animals in my shampoo. <laughs> There's animals in my couch, in my clothes, mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's, it's all these things we don't think about, like mm -hmm. leather. Leather was the biggest hurdle for me mm. well right in the winter everyone's like oh it's you know uh, it's fall and i'm gonna wear my scarf and my knit sweater and i'm like it's a nightmare what am i gonna do mm -hmm. um so i think it's about turning to plant innovative materials and 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 i think it's about supporting the companies that are offering vegan cosmetic products because when we support these brands or buy these products we're signaling to the market that you know this is what we want and this is what we want more of because even the companies that you know like the market at the end of the day are giving are trying to give in to demand or or, or supply mm. for a demand and i think we as customers as consumers have such power to mm. be able to make changes with just what we buy so i think it's about seeking the right options that are out there in terms of innovative materials, in terms of vegan products that don't use animals in, in what we put on our faces and, and everything. Because mm -hmm. um, they're there. They're there. It's, it's just about us, I think, finding them and supporting them and buying them. Mm -hmm. It's just expensive. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Oh, okay. Yeah. For example, like um, if, if we're talking about like cosmetics... There's a lot of actually drugstore price 
makeup that's completely cruelty free so not tested on animals and also vegan mm. so it's this um it's it's a misconception i think that if it's vegan it's more expensive really how about like i don't know leather clothes and whatnot yeah so actually so think about like cashmere right angora all of those real leather they're expensive right mm. there are um and then we think about like polyester right very cheap vegan but not great for the environment so it's it's um it's it's a balance there of buying um sustainable materials that are not made from animals mm -hmm. but i think also like if we talk about leather like plant leathers are on the rise you know leather from pineapple leather from mm -hmm. cactus leather from apple all of these um some of them tend to be a little bit like yes more expensive but also i think it's because not all of them some are more affordable but i think it's because it's so new mm. that um as the demand grows and and you know ec uh, economies of scale come in and production start getting bigger i think it will change i think mm. it's just that it's so new that it might be more expensive from some brands yeah you're you're i think i think you're correct yeah because it revolution takes time change takes time yeah and i think you're correct yeah. like the more we tend to go that way they're like the companies the big companies are like wait a minute that's where the money is let's go there yes yeah mm -hmm. exactly you mentioned exactly. something about wool like is it, i've yeah. heard that it's actually good for the sheep to take out the extra wool yeah so here again this is another misconception like we the reason we have to humans have to shear sheep is we breeded them to produce 10 times as much wool than they actually naturally would right so we've turned so them into smart. factories and you know it's not this nice like oh you know a little nice haircut it's like it could be quite brutal and, and awful how how mm. they're treated and they're cut and when they're um being sheared as fast as possible in this like uh, factory style mm. um production um it's 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 a horrible experience for, that is, for animals. That, that changed my, my thinking. Like, yeah, that makes so much sense. We farm these animals to create more wool because we choose the ones that are more wooly, uh, they say, right? But if they're in their natural state, possibly they're not even that wooly. Right, right. Mm, yeah. Makes sense, makes But sense. Selectively bred them to be, to exist in a way that they weren't actually naturally existing, to meet you know, a demand for us. Um, yeah, that's that's the, the sad reality of it. Mm -hmm. All right, this one's from a friend. Is it based on the food an individual consumes where that individual store fat in one's body? No, it's not. Mm. We can't control where we store fat. We also cannot control where we lose fat. So you know those programs that tell you lose your belly fat, blah, blah, blah. You, no, you can't do that. That's <laughs> lies. Don't buy into that. Genetically, it's determined like how and where we all store fat and it's different. Mm. Where we first lose weight from is also different. Um, so you can't selectively choose foods or do specific exercises to control where your body holds on to fat. Now, if we're talking about exercise, You can, sh you can tone up and shape your body with, you know, with muscle and that sort of thing and building up muscle in certain areas. You can do that, but you can't lose your, I don't know, fat from your hips or something or control where it's going to store or mm. be lost from. Well said. I love it. I love that. I'm not promising I'm going to be a vegan anytime soon, but I'm going to try anyway. Do you know any vegans? I do actually have a good friend that is vegan. Yeah. Last question. Do you have any advice for people that want to try veganism? Oh, I think, um, I think approach it with, I, I've said this in a few videos, like approach it with mindset of abundance. Hmm. A lot of the time people think, oh no, I, I, I can't or won't go vegan or won't even entertain the idea because their brain or minded at least goes straight into no, no, no. But these are all the things I want to give up. I'm going to give up. I won't mm. be able to have this and I won't be able to have that. I won't be able to have this and that. I think it's 
the reality is so different. The reality is that you can experience actually a lot more foods if you're approaching it with, okay, this is going to be a change where I get to discover all these other different options that are out there because they are out there and all these different recipes and cuisines and products. Mm-hmm. So I think just shifting it from a mindset of like, no, this is what I can't have to like, hang on, wait, let me let me discover what, what is out there. What are my options? Mm-hmm. And try different things, try different brands, try different like milks. There's so many, like every kind of nut has been milked now. Um, try, try the different things. And um, I, I would say approach it with like discovery and curiosity in terms of mindset. Mm-hmm. rather than like restriction. I would say also for um, to people is like, there's not one right way. There's not like, you know, not everyone's like overnight, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could be as simple as like, try one product, try, you know, if it's like, you know, the first thing I'm going to actually, I'm okay giving up. I'm not that fussed as like eggs or like the, the one, you know, I'm not really that into milk anyway. So let me try, like go for the lowest hanging fruit. Mm. What for you, you feel like, mm, I don't want to miss that that much. What are my options? Like, oh, you know, I'm not really into eggs. I'll have avocado toast or hummus toast or something. Mm. Go for that. You know, make, you can make changes that way. Mm. I think also that veganism and I have a video on this, it's not this perfect magic pill, amazing diet, right? Mm. And it's not just a diet. It's an entire philosophy. It's a way of viewing the world. And it touches many parts of life, not just diet. Mm-hmm. So that means there's many unique places to try it. You know, if for someone it's like they knit a lot and they use wool, maybe it's like, oh, try like, I don't know, other sustainable materials. Mm. Or if it's someone who's like really into makeup, then maybe try learning about vegan cruelty-free makeup like you can pick an area to start and the gateway isn't always the kitchen mm, well said wise word from a wise woman again dr heya thank you for coming on the podcast i really do appreciate it thank you for having me aaron it's a pleasure to speak with you thank you have a good day you too take care bye bye thank you again dr heya for coming on the podcast i really do appreciate it Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.